So we're starting a new uh, preaching series, which I'm really excited about. Cool. I'm always excited about preaching series, but I, what an amazing topic to preach on. We're going to be, for the next eight weeks, just delving into the majesty and the wonder and the splendor of our God. And really my prayer is that each one of us will be captivated again. I don't know about you, but I was, I was, even this morning, what wonderful songs we, we have that just be able to, to, to be able to voice that wonder, you know, because otherwise we're just rendered speechless, aren't we? And my prayer is that each one of us will have that, a deepening sense of awe of God, deepening sense. If you like, really, this series follows on, I think, very well from our last series, looking at the Gospel of John. If you remember, John is described as the disciple that Jesus loved. He knew Jesus probably better than most. He was so comfortable in Jesus' presence, reclining on him, literally using Jesus as a headrest. I mean, you don't get more comfortable than that, do you? And yet, he was also the same guy when he received this revelation from God on the Isle of Patmos, when he saw the ascended Jesus in all his glory, he fell face down as though dead. John knew both this incredible intimacy and friendship with Jesus, as well as experiencing total awe and wonder of him as well. And we need to grasp both as well. Both the intimacy as well as the awe of God. We need to grasp both. You know, these, these two aren't intention, intimacy and awe. They, they don't conflict with each other. In fact, they work together. One leads to another. If you're in awe of someone, it draws you in, doesn't it? You can't take your eyes off something you are in awe of. You want to find out more. You want to get closer, you know, just inching forward. If you're not in awe, you know, you can take it or leave it, can't you? I'm not that bothered, really. Awe actually leads to intimacy. We need both. We need both. The very fact, even this morning, that we can come into God's presence is awesome, isn't it? Absolutely mind-blowing. Again, Hebrews 4.16 says, we can boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence. We can be bold because of what we've been singing about, royal robes, our, our, our robes of sin and, and our own righteousness that are just filthy rags to God have been removed, placed on Jesus. All our sin and all our shame placed on Jesus on the cross so that we can wear his royal robes of righteousness. That's the only reason we can stand confidently before the throne of God. We can be bold. We can be confident. But we're still approaching a throne, <laughs> And I think we need to remember that. Not just any throne. The throne of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The throne of heaven. We approach 
the God who is unparalleled. He's unrivaled, supremely glorious. The Bible has all sorts of words to describe God, and through this series we'll probably be be touching on some of these, but he is totally unfathomable. I can't even say that. Unfathomable. Just, just, we can't get our head around him. He's unmeasurable. He's eternal. He's immortal. He's awesome. In other words, what a privilege we have, particularly this side of the cross, the freedom we have to enter into the presence of God, to be able to encounter him, this mighty God. And my prayer is that we never, ever lose the wonder and the privilege of being able to encounter God. And yet, speaking for myself, and I know I'm not the only one, so often we do lose that sense of awe, lose that sense of wonder. And so really this morning, we're going to be looking at how we can grow in awe of God. Because it's not something that happens automatically. We're going to be looking at what happens when our awe is misplaced and the consequences of that. And then we'll be looking at what happens when our awe is well-placed and the consequences of that. I want us to, to, just to be encouraged that we can grow in the wonder and awe of God. Basically, that's what spiritual growth is, isn't it? Ultimately, growing day by day in more and more in wonder and in love of God. Because as we do that, as we gaze on him, so we are changed to be more like him. That's what spiritual growth is. Becoming more and more captivated by God every day. If you look up the word awe, you get all sorts of different words coming up. Words like wonder and admiration, respect, amazement, surprise. Fear, astonishment, reverence, esteem, mystery, worship. It's an incredible word, isn't it? And if that's the case, then I think we've seriously devalued the word awe, haven't we? We call everything awesome, well, particularly in America perhaps. But, you know, we we say, that was an awesome steak I ate. Or or the other day I saw someone and I described, I said, that is an awesome beard. It was pretty epic. You know, it's an awesome beard. But I'm not sure whether a steak or a beard for that matter is particularly worthy of our reverence and respect and worship. (laughs) Some beards are quite fearful. I would give you that. They are quite scary. But we we have a habit of reducing awe, both in our language, but also we have a, a habit of reducing our view of God. And we need to realize that actually there is a battle going on for your awe. There's a battle going on. And, you know, so much in this world clamors for our awe and attention and devotion. So much of it. 
You know, it's often said that actually in this generation, there's, there's little to no mystery left. We've got the internet to explain everything. It's amazing when you Google image, the word awe, you basically get two types of image. You get images of space, which, you know, you're allowed to be, go, wow, that's awesome. Or you get images of little kids with their mouths open going, ooh, wow. Because wonder is almost being classed as an as a immature thing. You know, when you mature, when you grow up, well, you don't wonder anymore. We know everything. We, we value knowledge, not wonder. And it's such a shame. May we never lose the wonder. We, we, we take information for granted so quickly. Things that used to amaze us just now, I don't know, become so passe. Yeah, we know all that. It takes a lot to amaze us, doesn't it? We become very unimpressed so quickly. As I was thinking about this, I was remembering the first time Claire and I plugged our computer into this thing called the internet. Amazing, amazing thing. Uh, Of course, it was dial-up, which meant nobody could call your home during the times we were on the internet. And it it was amazing because suddenly all these images started appearing on our monitor that was the size of basically half a room. These images, I was like, where are these coming from? What, what mystery is this? It was just so new. Do you remember that? I was like, hold on. What, what, what is it? You know, it's basically trying to load up a web page in about 10 minutes. But I was actually going to show a video of dial-up because some of you haven't a clue what I'm talking about. You know, but the thing is, this video was six minutes long, and I just thought that's not the best use of time this morning. But it was a, a moment of wonder. I am connected with the internet. Amazing. Now, of course... The wonder's gone. We've got internet on our tablets, on our phones, on, some of you got them on their watches. It's just, just not a thing of wonder anymore. In fact, you get frustrated when a web page doesn't load up in a couple of seconds. It's like, come on, useless piece of junk. No longer filled with wonder that we can grasp any th- piece of information you desire in seconds. No longer filled with wonder that you can download a video, edit it all up, and then send it off to someone else in minutes. No longer filled in wonder that I can do a virtual walk around the Taj Mahal or Mexico City. It's just like, yeah, of course you can. Or quickly fades. We're fickle. (laughs) We're very forgetful sometimes. We move so quickly from being captivated by something to being completely unaffected by it. And we do that in our relationship with God as well. It's what drives our culture's consumerism, to constantly be dissatisfied with what we have now and be filled with awe of something else. You know, just, oh, this is an awesome, I've got, to, I've got to spend all my money on this thing. This is awesome. It's just a phone. And the last phone that you had that you thought was awesome is now just a paperweight. We move so quickly. The world is clamoring for your awe, whether that's celebrity, you know, just, just fascinated with celebrity. I'm in awe of these people. Or, or beautiful houses, or beautiful bodies, or amazing exploits. 
It's what drives adrenaline junkies, you know, these extreme sports men and women to, to climb mountains and throw themselves off. It's awesome. It's nuts if you ask me. But when you ask them, why on earth do you do this? Why do you wear like a suit with wings and throw yourself off a tower block? Why do you do that? They say it's because that's when I really feel alive. When I'm on the edge of fear, terror, and joy. It's, it's, it's awe. It's awe. And that's what awe does to us. It, it wakes something up in us. We often say when something's awesome, it's mind-blowing. Because that's literally what it is. It expands our mind. It expands our experience. It wakes us up. Paul Tripp, who um, has written a brilliant book, I'm just going to flag it up, imaginatively titled, Or. Um, but I highly recommend this book. It's really stirred me in this whole subject. But uh, he said this. He said that every single person is hardwired for awe, spiritually, emotionally, and according to a recent study by Stanford University, we're hardwired for awe biologically. Have a look at this quick clip. Eminent psychologist Nicholas Humphrey has written of the biological advantage of being awestruck. How fortuitous, he says, for a species to find that its own ability to contemplate, to marvel at its own existence, has been evolutionarily advantageous. In other words, it has been biologically selected for because it informs our life with a sense of cosmic significance that makes us work harder to persist and to survive. In other words, awe has helped us survive. And you know, a recent study out of Stanford on the subject of awe kind of validates this idea. They have found that regular incidences of awe leave residual benefits upon the individual that persists, such as increased feelings of empathy and compassion towards others, increased feelings of altruism, and increased feelings of general well-being. In this study, they defined awe as an experience of such perceptual expansion, such perceptual vastness, that you literally have to reconfigure, upgrade your mental schemata just to accommodate just to take in the scale of the experience. This is amazing. We've all felt this before. The first time we stared upon the Grand Canyon or succumbed to the immersive power of an IMAX film. But perhaps the most exquisite account of the experience of awe was articulated by the brilliant Ross Anderson when writing about the Hubble Space Telescope. Pay attention. He says that the Hubble has given us nothing less than an ontological awakening forceful reckoning of what is, allowing us to contemplate space and time on a scale just shy of infinite. Why? He says gazing upon the famous deep field photograph literally allows us to mainline the whole of time through the optic nerve. To fit something so impossibly large to something so impossibly small. It's incredible. Okay, so some of that dialogue is, um, is quite hard to hear and there's plenty of psychobabble as well. But you know what? I quite enjoy that. But the filmmaker is basically saying that awe is good. It motivates us. It enhances life. But 
And it is a huge but. Like so many other people, his awe is misplaced. His awe is on creation rather than the creator. David, King David, got so much right. He said in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. Now, David didn't have the benefit of photos from the Hubble. He probably lay on his back in the field looking up at the stars, and his thought wasn't, aren't I amazing? Isn't the creation amazing? But, wow, God, you are amazing. Creation declares your glory. You know, this uh, got some photos here. Incredible. These are kind of the Hubble's greatest hits, if you like. Top left, that's a, that's a birthing ground for stars. It's like a, a galactic maternity ward. It's a star being born. The one bottom left, that's quite the opposite. That's a star dying. That's a, a, that was apparently five times the size of our sun. That's a star dying. The top right is called the spiral galaxy. There are apparently 100 billion stars in that galaxy. It's 32 million light years away. I mean, figures start becoming blurry. That bottom right one, even more amazing, that is 500 galaxies just in that frame. 500 galaxies, complete systems. It is amazing. It is totally humbling. And, I don't know, I started reading some of these comments that people put underneath these photos. Some people make videos of these images to epic grand music, and, and then people comment on them. And some people have commented things like, how can you not believe in God while looking at this? You know, it's the same as David. The heavens declare the glory of God. And yet, for so many I mean, literally, this was one comment. It was the complete opposite. How can you believe in God when you have this? I'm like, oh, misplaced awe. It's tragic. You know, and the trouble with misplaced awe is that it fades quickly. Because creation, any created thing, was never designed to sustain awe in us but to point us to the Creator, to be in awe of Him, to be lost in wonder at His creativity, at His power, at His wisdom, how it all hangs together. It's in Him. It's in Him that we truly feel alive, not by throwing ourselves off tower blocks, The thing is, God wants us to be moved by creation. He created an amazing world full of wonders. He wants us to to have our eyes lifted and look around us at the wonder. But that wonder is not an end in itself. It's to draw us to him. It's to draw us to him. Perhaps a good question to ask yourself is, what takes your breath away? What fills you with awe? 
What are you prepared to make sacrifices for? And then ask yourself the question, does this draw me to God or away from him? The danger is when things captivate our hearts more than God. It's what the Bible calls idolatry. It's what the Bible calls idolatry. And really, misplaced awe is is the very heart of sin. When we replace the awe of God with the awe of something else. When we put greater value on something other than God. And and it's so subtle. It can be completely unintentional. But over time, slowly but surely, our wonder and our awe of God fades because we've misplaced our awe onto other things. If I can explain it this way, um, I, I quite often work from home and I have a tendency to snack I'm getting a lot better at it now, uh, getting a little bit more self-controlled. But you know, the chocolate biscuit here, packet of crisps, if I'm feeling a bit healthier, a banana. Trouble is, then Claire is preparing a wonderful, nutritious, tasty supper. And by the time I get to it, I'm like, I don't really feel like it. I t- I, you know, I eat it. As I said, I'm getting a lot better at this now. But... I just, my appetite had been temporarily satisfied by junk, really. By junk. John Piper, author, theologian, generally good guy, puts it like this. He says, your soul is stuffed with small things, and so there's no room for the great. Your soul is stuffed with small things. There's no room for the great. Has your awe temporarily been satisfied by small stuff? Or are you being satisfied by God? The thing is, when awe of God wanes, other things jump in to fill the vacuum. Paul Tripp, the author of that book I mentioned, says this, Our lives are either captured by the majesty of God or they will be captured by the fears of life, fear of failure, fear of inadequacy, or fear of the future. You could probably add fear of man as well and numerous other fears. All these fears are basically misplaced awe. Misplaced awe. Proverbs 1.7 on the other hand, says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That is well-placed awe. You see, when we have this reverential fear and awe of God, these fears don't get a look in. You know, when you are captivated by God's enormousness, the fact that he can provide all things, fear of inadequacy doesn't get a look in. When we are so enamored by him, want to please him, all we're concerned about is what he says about us, not about what others say about us. Fear of man doesn't get a look in. When we are completely convinced of his love and faithfulness for us, that he has a plan for us to give us a hope and a future, 
then fear of the future doesn't get a look in. When our awe is misplaced, what happens is all these fears start being allowed to shape our thinking, our priorities, and our actions. And we can see it in our own lives. We can see it right the way through the Bible as well. I mean, take Moses for an example. There he was being called by God from a pretty impressive burning bush. Amazing. It didn't burn up. This bush in flames. And as he approaches it, he hears this voice saying, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. I mean, that's pretty awesome, isn't it? Wow. I'm, I'm, I'm approaching with fear and trembling. Yet the thing is, to begin with, Moses was more in awe of Pharaoh. Listen to his reply to God. I am a nobody. That's a fear of inadequacy. How can I go to the king? That's a fear of man. And bring the Israelites out of Egypt. He was more filled with awe of Pharaoh than he was of God. So God says, uh, hello, I, the great I am, will be with you. Compare that with David, who was more in awe of God than he was of even the mighty Goliath. You know, there he was charging at him with this little sling saying, you come to me with a, with a sword and pretty awesome javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. It's easy to see where David's awe lay. You know, it, it's this awe of God that kept him from a, a fear of inadequacy. I'm not a trained soldier. I've just got a little sling. No, I've got an awesome God. Kept him from a, a fear of man, even nine foot tall ones. Incredible. When our awe is misplaced, our circumstances appear bigger and more fearful. Think of the, the disciples caught in the storm on the lake. They were more in awe of the wind and the waves than they were of the Son of God resting in their very boat. The one through which the whole of creation was made. When our view of God becomes small, our circumstances and our struggles seem so much bigger. But perhaps one of the most common places we misplace awe is on ourselves. You know, our, our, our sinful, fallen, natural state loves to glorify ourselves. We love it when we get the praise, when we get the glory, when we see other people doing worse than ourselves. <laughs> it's, it's our fallen, sinful state. And you get a hint of that in that film, don't you? He said, these images from the, the Hubble help us marvel not at God, but at our own existence, at our own advancement. You know, when, when our own advancement or when our own personal glory or pleasure becomes the, the focus of our attention, that is a place where sin can thrive. Because if, you're, if you don't have a high regard for, for the holiness of God, if you're not really that wowed by the fact that he chooses your body to be a temple of the Holy Spirit, then, then anything can go. Greed, self-centeredness, personal pleasure, 
all takes center stage when our awe is misplaced onto ourselves. As I said, there's a battle going on in each one of us. And God wants our awe realigned onto him, onto him. He wants us to be, as we've been singing about, being captivated by him. To have our eyes opened up again to his glory. And to enjoy him. To enjoy him. Again, I think it's John Piper. He says, um, joy, your joy, is commanded in the Bible. Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice where? In God, in the Lord. That is where our, our joy, that is where our hope, that is where our awe should be placed in God. Because when our awe is well placed, that's when fear can't get a look in. Whether it's fear of failure, fear of the future, fear of inadequacy, fear of man, whatever it is, it's as we gaze at the total sufficiency of God, at his complete sovereignty and justice and grace and power. That's when we really come alive, as I said. The thing is, if the awe of God is the only place where we truly find satisfaction, how come we aren't more captivated by God than perhaps we are? And I think there's a little clue in that film we saw. It's that quote by Albert Einstein at the beginning. He who can no longer pause to wonder and stand wrapped in awe is as good as dead. He who can no longer pause to wonder. In our busy, hectic lives, do we take time to lift our heads out of our busyness bubbles and look around at the wonder that is all around us? Do we take time to then reflect that back to God? The joys, the little things, the wonder of creation, precious moments with friends and family. Do we then reflect that back to God? Or are we too just wrapped up in ourselves to wonder and to see what's around us? See, in this, in this clip, it was as this science writer, Ross Anderson, paused to gaze at these deep field images from the Hubble that apparently reach, get this, 11 and a half billion light years into space. That's pretty deep, isn't it? It's only as he paused to gaze and contemplate that he became filled with awe. You know, he could have so easily picked up these images and thought, it's a pretty picture of stars. I'll use it as a screensaver or a, or a PowerPoint backdrop. You know, he could have done that, gone, oh, that's a pretty picture. But no, it's as he contemplated it, as, as he marveled at it, as he took time to actually think about it, that he became captivated. I think there's a real lesson there, isn't there, for us. How much more glorious has God revealed himself to us? I mean, revealed himself to us in his word, by his spirit, how much more glorious is that? 
But we need to give time to it. We need to spend time immersing ourselves in the wonder of it. That's why gathering on a Sunday morning to worship together and to sing out these wonderful songs is so good for us because we're immersing ourselves again in the wonder. You can do that every day of your life. Immerse yourself in the wonder, in the meaning of it. I mean, for him, just looking at these pictures of space moved him to say it changes the whole way we look at our existence. How much more should we be in awe of God who created that very time and space, who reveals himself to us in his words, presents himself by his Holy Spirit. That's why David moves in that Psalm 19 from being in awe of the stars and the heavens. He moves straight into the wonder of God's word. And his precepts. In the same verse, in the same psalm, sorry. And in Psalm 145, he says this Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commands your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts, they speak of your glorious splendor of your majesty. I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. He was, you know, he was a man after God's own heart because he was simply in awe of God. In awe of God. But we have to give time to it. David says, I will meditate on your wonderful works. We need to get our heads lifted up and out of our busy bubbles and immerse ourselves in the wonder of him. That's how we grow in awe and wonder. I mean, as you read through the Bible, are you in awe of God's plan of redemption through the the smallest of people groups to begin with? Are you in awe at his holiness and his justice of sin? Are you in awe at his patience with Israel? As we move into the New Testament, are you in awe of Jesus being the fulfillment of that promise to save the world from its sin? Are you in awe of Jesus' incredible obedience and sacrifice to death, even death on a cross? Are you in awe of God's power to raise him from the dead? Does this fill you with wonder, conquering sin, conquering death? Or have you just got a bit used to it? Are you in awe when we get into the letters, the epistles, of what this actually means for us today? The fact that it's totally changed our identity. That our position has completely changed. From being slaves to sin, to slaves of righteousness, to being objects of wrath, to being sons and daughters of God. Totally changed from death to life. Are you in awe of the fact that God actually wants to accomplish his purposes through you and me, through the power of his Holy Spirit. Does that fill you with amazement? It's like me? He wants to actually bring his kingdom, 
his salvation through you and me. So we get to Revelation. Are you in awe of seeing Jesus in all his glory, seated on the throne, surrounded by countless angelic hosts singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of Almighty. Are you in awe of the facts that we know how the story ends? Are you in awe of the fact that we are part of so, something so much greater than ourselves? The fact that one day every single person will be filled with the awe of God as they fall face down. The day that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. We need to allow this truth to to reignite awe in us again. Let that wonder then be our motivation in, in our prayer life, in our worship every part of our lives, to be motivated by awe. This is what it means to to magnify God. You know, the reason, or one of the reasons, why the Hubble telescope takes such deep and clear pictures of space is because it is above the Earth's atmosphere. It is above all the noise and dust and interference free to gaze uninterrupted at the vastness of space. We too need to rise above the noise and the distractions of this world and and lift our gaze onto the wonder and majesty of God. That is when Perspectives change. That is when priorities shift. That is when peace replaces fear. We need to magnify God, I think, a lot more than we do. And finally, this, is, this isn't just for ourselves. It never is, is it? It's not just for ourselves. If the, Hubble, if the Hubble's aim is to capture the beauty and the majesty of the universe, and then reflect that back to the people on earth so they can better understand and better get to know their universe, then it's our job, surely, to capture the beauty and the majesty and the wonder of our God and then reflect that awe to the people around us so they can better understand and they can better know and worship for themselves God. I don't know about you, but being in awe of something I find is very contagious. If you're around someone who is in awe of something, I mean, even watching that film clip, I started to get quite interested in what he was talking about. It's like, oh, it's quite amazing, isn't it? You know, let's be awestruck with God. It will be contagious. Amen? I'm going to read out, just while I come up, some, some verses, and then I really will finish, from Isaiah 40. And as I do, just marvel at the wonder of God. This is God. (laughs) To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal? Says the Holy One. Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. 
Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth.